Why, hello there, it's Mr. Warren Hayes on a Thursday, which means that it's time for the AEW Dynamite review here on youtube.com slash Mr. Warren Hayes or on your favorite podcast application. Hello, how are you doing? This is this this is the part, this is the time of week where we break away and we just specifically zone in on last night's dynamite. Yes, last night's dynamite. I'm recording this on August 24th. So we're gonna be talking about last night's go-home show for AEW all in at Wembley Stadium. It was the big one. And look, overall, you want my if you you know if you want to just be sure that you want to continue listening or not. It's like just tell me what you thought of the show, Warren, and then I'll decide. Listen, I'm gonna give you this. I'm gonna make you. I'm gonna I'm gonna do you a solid. I'm gonna tell you right off the bat. I thought this was not unlike last week, a dynamite which had. About an hour of really great stuff and an hour of stuff that was uh, questionable, but an eventful show. And if you were to ask me, overall, Warren, did you, I would say I liked it. There's stuff that didn't ring true to me. There's a couple of weird decisions. We're all going to talk about that. But um, but as far as a go-home show, I thought this was very successful. I saw things that I really... I saw things that I missed in Dynamite, and there's other things where I'm like, no, this... I, this I don't care for. So again, the bag that is mixed for AEW Dynamite um, last night, the August 23rd edition. So, but, but we'll get to that. We're going to start with that. But of course, you know, per usual, you know, uh, likes, subscriptions on YouTube help out a great deal, a great deal if you want to do that. Uh, or uh, five-star reviews, uh, five-star ratings uh, on the podcast side of thing, things. Uh, those help out tremendously as well. Um, but before we do get going, this is the like this is my first recording that that I've done since learning of the passing of Terry Funk, who passed away at the age of seventy nine. This was a news that broke yesterday, um, uh, Wednesday, August twenty third. Uh, so uh, you know, I'm this is not necessarily the spot where I want to do an obituary, but I you know, if anything. I um it, it's something that hits rather hard and you know I feel like um I feel like it, it can't be understated how much of a loss Terry Funk is to the wrestling business uh this is a, 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 a this is a guy who's been influential over decades not just a decade or two decades a true to form Oxford English Dictionary definition of, of of superstar in pro wrestling, a man whose influence is immeasurable in some regards. Um, there's going to be some fantastic obituaries coming out, unquestionably, uh, you know, by uh, of course Dave Meltzer, by the guys at uh, on the flagship show at Voices of Wrestling. Um, there's going to be so much to to break down stuff that you know I'm I, I, that I'm not entirely competent in, in in absolutely like tearing down and and getting into the nitty-gritty stuff but you know it, it I feel like there's sometimes we lose sight or we've lost sight of how expansive his career was a career that dates back to 1965 you know uh you know you can you can go back even further than that if you want you know when he you know when he was learning stuff with it with, through his father and you know him and his and his brother Dory Jr right you know took over the territory after his die after uh, Dory Sr passed away in 73 and and then not only did they become like influential in the business itself but uh they 
they just spread out everywhere. Um, you know, with Terry becoming um, uh, Terry becoming NWA champion, right? After Jack Briscoe, I believe it was in 74 or 75, something to that effect. Um, an all-time legend, right? Like an absolutely all-time legend, what, truly one of the GOATs. And this is something that gets thrown out, thrown around quite a bit. But Terry Funk is absolutely one of the greatest to ever do it. And for so long as well. And in a guy who has worked everywhere. We're talking, you know, the territories, you know, uh, Florida, Memphis, Texas, all Japan, FMW, WWF, WCW, ECW, like the, a, a mind-bogglingly expansive career. And uh, it cannot be underscored how significant his contributions are. There's a lot of stuff that you like in pro wrestling today that he has had a hand in. And it's no reason why a lot of, con of contemporary wrestlers, especially a lot of wrestlers that I like, Look to him. Saw you know, see him, saw him as a mentor, as an inspiration, whatever you want to call it, and uh, his influence will be felt even decades moving forward. So again, it's maybe this is not specifically relevant to the to the dynamite review, but the loss of Terry Funk is significant, uh, and uh, and the entire world of wrestling is in mourning. I think it was. I wanted to at least underscore it uh, and extend my condolences to friends and family, uh, the numerous uh, friends and colleagues and, and people he has touched throughout his life. And uh, just to really make sure that, uh, that I tossed my voice in there as we lose one of the all-time greats, a legitimately one of the all-time great professional wrestlers. There will never be another Terry Funk. It's just as simple as that. But let's get to the Dynamite review. August 23rd, as we were mentioning, 2023. It was uh, from the Gas South Arena in Duluth, Georgia. We had 5,343 tickets distributed per WrestleTix this morning for a setup of 5,635. That's, uh, uh, that's an above average gate for dynamite uh re for recent dynamite so a bit on an a, an uptick so that's good so the show was supposed to open up with the elite versus juice robinson and the guns of the bull bullet club gold but it never really happens because it's just a big schmoz the elite attack before the bell and juice left hand of gods rick Knox across the sh uh, right in the mush to make sure that Knox is not involved, that he can't call the bell. There's, this match is just doesn't even happen. You can't even say it's a no contest. There's never even an opening bell. So it's essentially a mugging. Jay White gets involved. Eventually, FTR come out to save the Bucks. Um, I like the opening angle. I think that was interesting. These are my... I, I cannot but help and have a little conspiracy brain here, and I apologize for that. But I cannot help but but think of um, this was, you know, obviously setting up the FTR Bucks match. But Omega is also, oh, Kineske Takeshita is involved in this as well. I forgot to mention. Apologies. Uh, sincere apologies. Um, 
because you know all of this sets up you know the golden elite versus the bullet club gold at Wembley and you know I can understand Kota Ibushi not being there but um Hangman Adam Page shined through his absence uh and I am I am officially throwing my hat into the where is Adam Page on my television ring that's I'm I'm officially becoming a member of that choir I don't understand why he is not on TV more I don't get it and why was he not there like CM look we know CM Punk was there and if I'm trying to say too many things at once I know CM Punk was there because he did the collision tapings which were after so we know Punk was there did this have something to do with it I couldn't tell you I don't know but the coincidence is there the Bucks were there okay the Bucks were running a big angle is this something else? I like. I I am in no position. I I I know nothing. But your brain can't help but go down in that direction, nonetheless. Um. So CM Punk was there, and look, does Adam Page show up on the collision tapings? I I I have stayed away from from the spoilers. I don't know, and we don't really discuss taping spoilers here on 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 these reviews. So. We don't typically do so. I don't see why I'd start today necessarily. So I don't know. Like, if he, maybe this is all a moot point and Paige was at the collision tapings. Which is still weird that he wouldn't be, you know, here to save his pal. And usually, you know, they're pretty good at this. They're, they being AEW creative are pretty good at explaining why members of the elite are not around. You know, like last week, why weren't Kenny Omega and Adam Page around to save the Bucks? Well, because they were at a hospital. So, you know, it all it all sort of ties together and I don't know I don't know what this is about. But it kind of stinks. He should have been there. And we really look, and here's the here's another thing. We really have to stop with this nonsense about I, I I'm still flabbergasted that there's people who are like who consider that there's this, you know, this hard roster split and it's like, "Wait, isn't this person on collision? What are they doing? It's been it's been porous since since the outset. We the one the only people that are sequestered that aren't showing up on the other show. The Jacksons are on Dynamite, and CM Punk is on the other. And then CM Punk is laying down the law, and he's not letting other people come. You know, he's like he's barring people from the building. He's sending Ryan Nemeth home. He's sending Christopher Daniels home. You can assume that you know Brandon Cutler's probably not welcome. You know, but we have to stop thinking that there's this tremendous divide within the entire roster, and that there's sides everywhere. From what I hear, there are more people who are just very neutral and just want to go to work than anything else. Not everyone is on a side here, and neither should you, quite frankly. Quite frankly, my A-plus audience, you, you don't have to pick a side in this. There's no reason for you to. You don't know these people. You can be aggravated at things that are happening. You can, you know, you can see the actions of one or the other and be very critical of them. I've been critical of, 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 uh, of CM Punk, very much so. Been critical of the elite as well, specifically, you know, specifically how the Jacksons have been handling this. And it's okay. You can be critical of both and you don't have to choose a side. 
You don't need to pick a side. You have no, uh, you have no, uh, uh, um, you have no pony in this race. You really don't. These people should be able to figure out their shit out because you know what? They're, they're, they're functioning adults. Making gobs of money. They should be able to sit down and just have reasonable conversations. Shouldn't they? I think that's basic expectations, right? Anyway, let's move on. We get some sit-down interviews here tonight with uh, with Rene Paquette, who is just all over the show, <laughs> like pre-tapes, live uh, live stuff. Like she's all over the place. They're squeezing every minute that they have with this woman, but Renee's great too. So I, you know, same position. I'd be doing the same. Don't get me wrong. Um, MJF is interviewed. He says he's like the 2023 version of the British Bulldog, but a better public speaker. I'm, I, you know what? Missed opportunity to not reference the I'm bizarre thing. I know it's that link. Missed opportunity. He calls for the loudest main event in the history of pro wrestling in Wembley. And he, he tells, basically speaking directly to the British audience, saying that he'll buy a pint He'll be buying everyone in the building a pint if they do so. Renee's like, wow, that's really generous of you. And he's like, Shh, I'm going to get that Mark Tony Khan to pay. <laughs> I. That's funny. Uh, he also adds that he's about to be the biggest headliner in the history of pro wrestling. And that's insane when you consider everyone who's paved the road beforehand to lead to that point. Uh, he says he's standing on the shoulders of giants, and if he wins on Sunday, he might become a giant himself. And he's not wrong. Uh, he says this is uh, new to him, him being in, in this type of position, uh, that, uh, you know, the stress of the main event, so on and so forth, it's, you know, unlike anything he's ever uh, lived through. And he's never had a genuine friend in his life. And that's not him. He's not trying to work us here. He's being genuine. It's not trying to be funny. This is real. And, you know, outside of everything, you know, like, the, didn't he do an interview recently where he, he, he used the word, this is, you know, he's my shoot best friend or something to that effect. And I would not be surprised that Adam Cole and MJF get along legitimately in, in real life. Why not? They could be absolutely very good best friends. Um, But, you know, a, a story is a story. Kayfabe is kayfabe nonetheless. Um... And uh, he says Adam Cole has made him a better person in a really short period of time and taught him that he can let his guard down. They're not just friends, they're brothers. And brothers fight, they're competitive. But ultimately, they always end up hugging it out. He also says he understands why people have trouble trusting him. And I love this line. He says, think about the worst thing you've ever done in your life. I've, I've possibly done it twice. I, I, I thought that was fantastic. But all he asks is that we go down on the journey and be vulnerable with him. And he promises it'll be rewarding. It's the first promise in his life he intends to keep because he's not just a scumbag. He's our scumbag. Brilliant stuff by MJF. Uh, per usual, he's on par. Um, and we're going to lead right into the Adam Cole sit down. It happens later in the show. But let's knock this out of the park. Because there's things that they're, 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 look, you'll see in a second. Renee, so Renee, again, 
doing the sit down thing with Adam Cole. And he talks about how, you know, his friendship with MJF was, you know, just came out of the blue, was unexpected with the tournament and whatnot. Um, and he's grateful. Uh, and he's grateful for Max for helping him find the real Adam Cole again. These are not insignificant words. Let's go through the entire thing. He he also says, you know, he didn't get into wrestling just to be a wrestler. He uh, he wanted to be the best wrestler, and he's been around the world. He's won a lot of titles, and the AEW World Championship is the greatest title. That's the one he wants, of course. Uh, he doesn't want to win the match. He needs to win the match. And then Renee shows some footage of... You know, all these little moments of tension, these potential betrayals that happened between the both of them. And Cole gets really angry and he gets super defensive. And he says there's no issues between himself and MJF and he storms off. All right. Good promo by by Cole as well. Super effective stuff. Didn't need a skit. We didn't need to go to, uh, I don't know, you know, Disneyland for this to land. Just saying. But, um, the, great stuff by both guys here. Now, here's the thing. This is what we need to compare and contrast here. They both say in their own respective interviews. Am I, I might be digging a little bit too much in lore here. And and feel free to call me out on it, okay? Okay. All right, all right, we do it. That's fine. Feel free to call me out. But MJF, when he talks about um, uh, how, Adam, how Adam Cole has affected him, right? He says, Adam Cole has made me a better person, right? Taught him that he can leave his guard down. They're not just friends, they're brothers. So he's being very tangible. He's saying, I am a better person for knowing this guy. Adam Cole says, MJF, um, MJF has helped me find the real Adam Cole again. Saying, oh, yeah, I've lost my confidence, but now I feel I found the real Adam Cole again. Now, unless you're super, super new to pro wrestling, which you could be. By the way, welcome. It's a great place to be. Adam Cole has always been a conniving, manipulative, slimy scumbag of a guy. And we're talking kayfabe here. I, from everything I understand, Adam Cole is a legitimate, genuinely wonderful person. We're talking in, 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 you know, in persona, right? The character of Adam Cole. He's always been just like a, 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 a scumbag. He's a heel. So he's not here saying, you know what? MJF has brought the best out of me. MJF is reminding me of how important, you know, uh, friendships are. He's saying that he helped him find the real Adam Cole. Now, we should all be on our guard with that line. That is, that to me is the biggest breadcrumb. Hell, it's it's like a whole slice of bread. (laughs) If you ask me as to what is going to happen at... Wembley, and if you're uninitiated, to, to if you haven't watched the Mr. Warren Hayes show this week and haven't dived into my, my preview of All In, uh, let me give you the cliff notes. Uh, Adam Cole is the guy who turns on MJF 
And not only will he turn on MJF, he will win the world championship at Wembley Stadium. Which, by the way, would be a hell, a hell of a fuck you to WWE. You know, where he's too small, he'll never main event WrestleMania, you know, all that shit. And you know Tony Khan, he's, he's a wrestling nerd like the rest of us. He, he, he of course, unequivocally, at the very least, the thought has crossed his mind to do it just so we can stick it to WWE and like, yeah, sure, no, he didn't, you know, didn't main event to WrestleMania, didn't win any championships at WrestleMania, but, but, um, but I enjoyed these promos. I thought they were very good and they're setting the stage and it's become more and more apparent to me that Adam Cole is the guy who's turning. And I've walked through the logic multiple times, multiple, multiple times, because if the if ultimately the plan is to have... Think about this for a second. If Adam Cole turns on MJF and wins the title because he used the Dynamite Diamond Ring on MJF, for instance, which is an absolutely plausible scenario. I was on the Bob Culture podcast last night and Bill Bodkin, who has a brilliant creative mind for this kind of stuff, is like, what if they do a callback to their time limit draw and the match goes to a time limit draw and Adam Cole asks for five more minutes, just like he did. And this time, MJF, instead of saying no, says, okay, let's do it. And that's when Adam Cole turns and wins the title. He becomes the most despised person in pro wrestling. And MJF, by association, becomes even more beloved. Now we're all behind MJF. Now we're sticking up for him. Because don't forget, MJF doesn't have friends. No one is going to come stick up for him. No one is going to run in. No one is going to... No one is coming to help MJF, regardless of what happens. He has no friends. This is the tale. This is the story. But Adam Cole has multiple friends. He has Roddy. That's what he was trying to tell MJF a couple of weeks ago. It's like, what's your problem, man? MJF is my... Roderick, Roderick is my friend. You shouldn't be talking to him like that. He has multiple friends. I'm telling you. Adam Cole is winning the title at Wembley. Mark my words. It would be... It is such a simple story to tell. And then what happens... You set up an immediate main event for your other pay-per-view all out in just a week a week later that everyone is going to want to see regardless. It's good stuff, man. And I can I can already hear, you know, the you know the 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 bloodline uh, uh, fed people. Oh no, they should have stretched this out more, so on and so forth. And I couldn't be in more di- in any more disagreement. This is what you do: you strike while the iron is hot. You give us a real deal story bump, not a betrayal, another betrayal, people proving themselves, none of betrayal. Then we no trust. You don't do that. You strike while it's hot. You give people give people a reason to feel passionate about something. And they're already into this. The audience is already into this. If you stretch this out too long, it's going to get dull, repetitive. This is good storytelling. This, folks, is good storytelling. 
But I can already I can already see if the turn happens, there's gonna be you know pretend pundits and uh, and you know just absolute weirdos who are gonna be out there saying they should have stretched this out. What a, you know, they should have made this uh, a, a story over a year. You know such such short sightedness. Strike while the iron is hot. Let's keep going. First match of the first official match of the night. First one that actually had a bell was John Moxley defeating Ray Phoenix. Great match. And 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 when I saw this, when I saw this announced, and then no, I'm gonna be honest. When I saw both guys in the ring, because this, you know, it hadn't like struck me until I saw both guys in the ring. I'm like, this is what I miss from Dynamite. Two top guys doing a cool match. This is what I missed from Dynamite. And I'm looking at this and I'm like, this rule, like this is the kind of stuff, this is what got me attached. This is why Dynamite was the unquestionably the best pro wrestling show of all time, you know, towards the end of 2022 and into 2023. And somehow we sort of lost our way. It's not quite the same. And the match ruled on top of that. I don't want to spend, I don't want to go off on that, but like we used to get Multiple matches like this every fucking week. You know what I mean? Anyway, Phoenix does all sorts of kicks and some great shit. He's just landing a bunch of stuff at Mox who tears at the mask. And I think Phoenix bladed wasn't quite clear, right? Or maybe my maybe the, maybe the brightness on my on my television was a too a little a little too dark. Didn't quite see it, but uh, um. But uh, Phoenix was fantastic here. He does a kip up followed by a super kick, which I'm sure was pretty cool. But production didn't get it. Because of course, AEW's production these days, it's pretty rinky dink. And you know what? We were talking about it again last night on the Bob Culture Podcast, but I want to reiterate this point. I'm kind of worried at Chris Jericho coming down to the ring at Wembley singing his song. Because audio's been shit. For this company. For weeks. Not just video, but production has been a mess. And but the audio, you a couple of weeks, you know, we had static coming in on mics. We got uh, you know, uh, uh cameras, uh, microphones picking up, you know, the uh, picking up uh, uh the, the 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 crowd instead of uh, or, or or camera mics instead of the direct mics and like <laughs> I'm not confident that the Judas uh, performance is going to go off without a hitch. I, I'm just not. Because production right now in AEW is not great. Every show, and we're not done. I got other stuff to point out. Mox hits an avalanche death rider. Phoenix kicks out. You know, people were mad about this. It's like, how does he kick out of it? How does he kick... How does Phoenix kick out of this? Oh, you know, and then you get the usual oh, finishers are meaningless. Everyone kicks out of everything, you know. You know, all that that crowd. But the fact of the matter is that the Death Rider is not even John's most successful finisher in AEW. It's the bulldog choke. Like the, you know, in Japan, it's another story. But the Death Rider has not been the big deal. He's been, you go back, you watch. He's been finishing off top guys with the bulldog choke. And maybe he'll finish a mid-carder 
with the with a with a, a, a death rider but it's not even his most effective move sure it was an avalanche one okay fine i st i didn't see any issues with it i really don't because the bulldog choke has been the thing and what does ray phoenix pass out to to lose the match the bulldog choke because phoenix is he's not a he, he's not a jay brone he's a top guy he's an upper mid carter let's okay so he he taps out to the he he passes out to the bulldog choke and this all leads into uh, the idea, the purpose of this match is to uh, is to write Ray Phoenix off of um, off of All In. Uh, there are multiple reasons, but uh, expectations. But look, the Blackpool Combat Club. Once the match is done, they get into the ring. They have crowbars. They have crowbars. They come after. There's this great visual. I think it's Cesaro who's he grabs the crowbar. And he lifts, he, he slinks it into the mask, into the torn mask, and lifts Phoenix up by that. And I'm like, oh, that, 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 that kind of rules. That's, that's, that's kind of, that's kind of, that's kind of wrong and awesome at the same time, you know. Um, and, uh, and they, and they, they, they being, I think it's Wheeler Yuta. I couldn't tell you, but someone crowbars Phoenix across the face. I couldn't tell you. Production missed it. Like the most important part of this entire angle. Not unlike a certain finish for a certain blood and guts match. Didn't even make it to TV. They had to show it in the replay. Why? Because there's Eddie Kingston and Penta who show up and Ortiz is there. Who comes out of nowhere to keep him off. And then Santana comes out as well. And God, he's jacked. Swoltana. And they're just he so he's back and they're they're going to be the extra guys to join the Blackpool Combat Club. And I'm like, okay, this all tracks, it all connects. And these are guys who have, you know, Ortiz doesn't like Eddie Kingston anymore. And everything sort of comes together. It's not a, a an entirely random thing, but I'm good with Pride and Power, uh, Pride and Powerful being back together, Santana and Ortiz. Uh, do they do they get along? Clearly, they can get along enough to make money. Good for them. Uh, and they take Penta and Eddie out on the floor, and the best friends show up to, and then everyone scatters. Um. So, I want to clear something up real quickly. And, you know, I'm not an immigration lawyer. Shocker. But I am capable of reading and going on official websites and reading things. Whenever I hear, oh, visa issues, visa issues, they're having visa issues, I'm like, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't make sense. These are people coming into a country for one show and going out, right? You get work visas when you ha when you stay for longer periods. You get stu study visa, uh, student visas when you go to study. And so so the, none, of it, none of this makes sense. And we had a huge discussion about work visas for Forbidden Door, remember that? Because everyone thought, oh, so-and-so can't, you know, uh, can, they won't be able to work in Canada because they need visas and their visa issues and visas and so on and so forth. But there's, here's the thing. You don't need, entertainers, uh, 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 entertainers, performers do not need a visa, a work visa to come work a couple of days in Canada. They don't. 
come in, you do your thing, you go home. As long as, I think it's like, as long as you're paid by, look, it doesn't matter. But you don't need a visa. This is the, the, the crucial part. This was the thing in Canada. So I'm like, well, what is, what are the rules for visas in Britain? And guess what? It's the same thing. You have to have like, as they, they say, you need, you need to have uh, an invitation from, you know, an organization, a sports organization or a performance, uh, you know, uh, association or, a, you know, a studio or whatever, something involving the arts, whatever, that that's inviting these people in. I'm like, well, I'm pretty sure the president of Fulham is able to work this out. He's probably able to make this, the owner of Fulham, I should say, is probably able to make this happen pretty simply. All you need, you don't need visas if you're coming in from the United States or even Mexico, if you're a Mexican citizen, I checked. You don't need a work visa to come work one day on a date for a show in the UK. That's absurd if you want to come spend, after a month, you need a visa. If you want to spend like four weeks working, then you need a visa. Because otherwise the paperwork is insane. What are we doing here? And it, it doesn't work. It doesn't, that means like, you know, you're the backup, you're a backup singer on a tour and you're doing one day in, in, in you know, in London and you need to fill out a visa and it, like, it, none of it makes sense. And this is on the official site. So we have to stop with these, oh, visa issues. No, 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 it's not visa issues. It cannot be visa issues. There's something else keeping Ray Phoenix back. And I've heard all sorts of theories and there's been reports uh, saying, you know, oh, well, he's trying to get his American citizenship. So that means that he, he can't leave, I, which tracks to the degree that I know that immigration law is confusing and complicated. <laughs> so, okay, I guess that makes sense that he has to stay in the country while he's getting his residency. Okie dokie then. Um, might even explain why he had to why he had to to um, uh, relinquish the, the 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 AAA title that he had. Like whatever, it's fine, you know. But we have we have to stop immediately jumping to visa issues because there's technically no issue for an for an American, a Canadian, a Mexican to go work a day. In the UK. And that is on the UK's web. Now, maybe there's other provisios and stuff like that. Like I said, I'm not an entertainment lawyer. But they even have a little handy-dandy questionnaire. It's like, I am from, I am doing this. And then you, f you fill out the questionnaire. And at the end, they said, no, you do not need a visa. And all right, fantastic. Let's keep moving here. Anyway. So we just have to stop all of that. But here, there's something awesome that happened on this show, though. This, I, <laughs> so, um, coming back to the ring, you know, the, the crowbar shot and all that, and, 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 and Phoenix is being stretchered out. They're doing a good, proper stretcher job, and, you know, commentary has their somber voice going, and they lead into, they lead into their DraftKings ad read with the somber voice. So you have, you have Excalibur doing the, doing the, you can win up to $10,000 on the, with the, with, you know, the somber voice. 
And then we come back from commercial. And that's, I'm laughing because this is the most pro wrestling thing ever, right? I think it's awesome. Back from commercial, he's still doing somber voice. He said, oh, welcome back to Dynamite. Ray Phoenix is being uh, transported into an ambulance right now. Eddie Kingston says, and he's still doing it. It's glorious. I love pro wrestling so much. Eddie Kingston is around the, uh, the ambulance. He's pissed off. Renee arrives with a microphone to interview. And then he goes, oh, of course you're here. Right? Kind of thing. And he's like, oh, you. Oh, yeah. You want to talk. You want to get out of here. You, like He doesn't. And he pushes down on the microphone. And Renee's like, I'm just doing my job here. So, like, yeah, well, there's a little more to this. Right? And, and he says, you know, you know, he tells her, look, I saw what your husband did. And how can you be okay with that? And he's like, are you okay with this? And she's like, look, and he says, oh, you want me to fix this? You want me to fix this? All right, I'm going to fix this at Wembley. So, Dope. That was very good. Kingston, fantastic here. Impromptu. You couldn't ask for a better guy to make these situations, these situations feel real and authentic, right? Where he, we're without, you know, spelling out the relationships. You know, there would, there'd be another company where in the situation, you know, they'd have a little shaky cam, the camera just moving like this, but both people would be just standing still. And then they'd have one person, they'd have Eddie Kingston say to Renee, Renee, you are the wife of John Moxley. What do you think of all of this? I cannot believe that you, Renee, the, the, the wife of John Moxley, are okay, is okay with what just happened. Right, it would be some. I cannot believe I am going to settle this this weekend at All In Wembley Stadium in London because I am Eddie Kingston and you're not, or something like that. You know, he does his catchphrase and he walks off, you know, kind of thing. That's what they did, but it felt authentic, it felt real. He didn't have to drive it down. We know Renee and John are a thing, and if you don't know, you're about to find you, you just found out. Are you gonna ask around? You're gonna Google it. I hope you Google it. Well, you do. You're the A. Y'all are the A plus audience. Uh, then we switch to a pre-tape interview with Renee, who's uh, chatting with Sammy Guevara, uh, talking about why he helped Chris Jericho. Then uh, Daniel Garcia and 2.0 arrive into the frame, and uh, they sort of talk down to him for helping Chris. You know, and uh, Sammy says. Uh, you know, that Jericho is his friend and uh, I don't always agree with what he does. But right now, you know, he was blinded by his uh, friendship with Don Callis. And uh, I'm just going to be there for him. And, you know, Parker, Angelo Parker says, cool hand, Ang. Says, you know, uh, talk, t- talk about being blinded with friendship. Do you think Chris is going to be there for you? So. I think he, he'll have a, Sammy will be involved in the, uh, in the match somehow against Will Ospreay. And let's get right into this then. Contract signing. I fucking hate contract signings. If you are a medium to long-term listener of the Mr. Warren Hayes show. And if you know this, if not, I'll just break down the bullet points. Uh, They're redundant. It's lazy creative. 
I feel like once you're out of ideas, you turn to this to sort of create an event. And they've been so overdone that they all have tropes now. Flipping tables, you know, some back and forth. Like there's nothing more boring than paperwork on TV. Okay? So I see this. I'm like, God damn it. I don't need this. I don't want this. This stinks. Don Callis is there with Osprey and Jericho and Jericho's there too. And Don Callis calls Will Osprey. Will by God Osprey. And I that made me laugh. He says Jericho almost died in England years ago, so he's gonna make sure the do- the job gets done this time. So Osprey gets on the mic and cuts a fantastic promo talking about how this match is going to change his life and that the that the day before he fights Jericho he's got an indie date which is uh Rev Pro right he's fighting Shingo Takagi and uh he's trying to put food on his table and he's going to be the only guy who can say well put on food on this table for his uh, his missus and his stepson his four-year-old stepson which came to a shock uh, a lot of, which came as a shock to a lot of people which is fine I you know I think sure these people are absolutely entitled to private lives and you know I, I, I I'm comfortable with pe- with people being surprised at like wait will Osprey has a stepson and he says he's going to be the only guy in the world to say that he's been beaten Kenny Omega, Kazuchika Okada, and Chris Jericho in two months. I'm like, Jesus Christ. Indeed, right? Um, and he says that all of this is going to make a big difference. In six months, when his New Japan contract is up, talking straight into the camera, this has been the this has been a, a talking point in New Japan for a while, and you know, was even a center point of a lot of the stuff that I was talking about during my G1 coverage, whether he's staying or not. Uh, and um, well, look, he's mentioning it here, but you know, professional liar, professional wrestlers are professional liars at the same time. Um, he knows he's the best wrestler in the world, better than the elite Danielson Punk or even Jericho himself. He says uh, Jericho, Jericho then gets on the mic, says uh, that Will wouldn't have accomplished what he has today without him. Uh, referring back to back in the day when Will was being very, very. Um, careless I guess you'd say uh saying that you know I got his I got I was able to get your number and I called you up and I said you had to tone it down or you'd be in a wheelchair before 30 like your hero the dynamite kid he listened and now here we look you listen to me and here we are both at Wembley Stadium but where Will is coming at it from the bottom Chris is coming from the top with every dipshit on the internet predicting his demise well not this dipshit I'll tell you what um, so he's going to be the best Chris Jericho he's ever been and Osprey will need to be his best to have a, a, a hope of beating him. Keeps talking about the wheelchair. Jericho does. That pisses Osprey off. He slaps the microphone out of the hand and they there's a pull-apart brawl. They try to get at each other but security's keeping them apart. Great stuff. Like, honestly, look, if this might come up, this... I loved this contract signing. Why? Because it wasn't all about a contract signing and people. You know what's the the worst fucking thing about contract signings? I'll tell you what they are. People sitting down, 
lounging back in the chairs with the microphones and go, hey, man, the way the way WWE does it, they're all boring. It's always the same thing. People are always so fucking smug. That's the only attitude that wrestlers have in WWE. It's smugness. Here, I got passion. I got anger. I've got frustration. I, I feel like I got stakes here. Not only that, but I feel this promo is the thing that made, like, they sold me a ticket. Like, this is all I want out of my promos. This is all I want out of my promos. I, something like this that'll sell me a ticket. They already had my ticket, but you understand what I mean. Sell me a ticket. Talk me into the building. This is what this did. And not only did it talk me into the building, this feels like the biggest match on the card. Just because of that promo. Uh, we can argue with the main event. Okay. But hear me out. Like, this is the one match that has been built so far that has the Wembley implications so deeply ingrained into it. You know, the big feel of this tremendous event just lit the fire for this promo, both from Jericho and Osprey, and the result was fantastic. Like, there is nothing else on this card that feels more Wembley than this match here. And anyone who thinks that this match is going to stink, look, I, I don't, look, I'm going to dial it back a little bit. This is what I'm going to say. I'll, I'm, I'm going to dial it back a little bit. Let's be a little more objective here, Warren. Don't get carried away. Will Ospreay, my humble opinion, is the greatest professional wrestler on earth. I saw him just a couple of weeks ago carry every single person he was in a match against during the G1 to five to four, four and a half, five-star uh, uh, affairs. Just tremendous work throughout. Unquestionable, undeniable. I saw him carry a loopy, a knocked out Tetsuya Naito through the final stages of a match. Literally lifting Tetsuya Naito, a knocked out Tetsuya Naito, lifting him so he can land destinos on himself. He's basically... He was basically performing destinos on himself. Outstanding, outrageous, impressive stuff. Jericho, I still think Jericho is one of these wrestlers that when it's time, he's going to turn it on. And he's going to turn it on big time here. What are we doing? You think he's not aware of what he's going to do here? So he works a little softer with some of the undercard guys in, in AW. That's not that big a deal. Like on a Wednesday night, uh, sure. Do you, do you even remotely imagine that he is not going to bring everything he's got? And I think we're going to be surprised. And if, if things start to go downhill a little bit, Will Ospreay, greatest brain for professional wrestling right now, is going to keep it all together. I am in complete confidence in this match. Complete confidence. I'm excited for it. Darby Allen and Nick Wayne, we're going long here, aren't we? Holy shit. I haven't even hit the halfway mark yet. Oh, we're almost done, honestly. So much to break down in this show. Uh, Darby Allen and Nick Wayne defeated AR Fox and Swerve Strickland. Absolutely bananas match before we get to the angle. Absolutely bananas match. Tornado tag rules. This ruled tremendous Spider-German suplex by 
AR Fox and an imploding senton on the floor. Uh, double Wayne's World by Nick. Uh, coffin Drop by Darby on the floor. Just tremendous, tremendous, tremendous stuff. Um, uh, Fox and Swerve, they destroy Darby on the floor, which leaves Nick Wayne alone in the ring with both of the heels, and they proceed to just beat him down, mug him, essentially. Corkscrew Brainbuster, Cradle Driver. But Nick Wayne keeps kicking out of everything they throw at him. He rolls out of the way of a 450 attempt by Fox. He rolls him up. Swerve gets held up by Darby so he can't run in and break up the pin. That's how we get the big win here. So that was fun. I was like, and and and, and Nick got, you know, he's got a big old nosebleed on top of that. Post-match, Strickland gets on the microphone saying this is so disappointing. And he's talking about A.R. Fox. And he tells him, look, every time you get the opportunity of a lifetime, you blow it. And he asks A.R. Fox, why are you such a loser? This was a test. If you can't beat an 18-year-old child, I can't trust you to be uh, to do what needs to be done against 80,000 in Wembley. Prince Nana gets the mic and he fires Fox from the embassy. Brian Cage appears. Drill claws him. Now, before we move on, and, and then, Dar- no, I actually have to add this in. Darby Allen then hits the ring and then he's all, He's okay now with AR Fox. Lifts him up, shakes his hand, pats him on the back, whatever. Tells him he loves him. And I'm like, how does Nick feel? He's like, Darby, you might be okay with this, but what about Nick? You know, who just, they, you know, AR Fox cracked the picture of his father across his face. So, this. I, you know, my haunts, again, speaking, talking, were told there were multiple pitches when it was found out that AR Fox could not make it to Wembley. And we don't know what the reason is. It's not visa issues. We, and there were multiple pitches that were presented to Tony Khan to find a way out of this. And this was the one that was chosen which arguably is probably the worst that they got because this makes this is awful i think they're i think it sucks that they're cutting short the relationship between ar fox and swerve strickland after they were building such a hot tandem a hot hot heel tandem like they did over the past couple of weeks that great angle that they shot. Just fantastic stuff. And they work fantastically well together. Like, this was a no-brainer. And it was giving AR Fox that career push. That thing that was really lacking. He was in this great angle. He was flexing his all of his capabilities here. Showing us stuff that we hadn't seen before. Like, everything was firing. But why are we cutting this off? Why are we why are we flipping this around and ending the heel push because he can't make it to Wembley? There were there were there are other ways to have kept Fox out of Wembley without killing uh, killing his push here unless there's something that we don't see, but this was I don't think this is good. I thought this was kind of terrible. I kind of feel like you know how people use 
oh, this is such a Vince Russo thing. This is such a Vince Russo. And most of the time people are wrong. This is a very Vince Russo thing. I was like, look, swerve, brother. And then I see people is like, oh, yeah, but maybe this is all just a ruse where in fact AR Fox really is. Well, then it's worse. Then we're really into Vince Russo territory. This is terrible. This is not good. This is not good. And the and the 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 returns on this are terrible because AR Fox in this duo with Swerve was just fantastic. And and it look, it fits the Swerve character, you know, being, you know, evil and manipulative and not giving a shit. You know, it, you know, it works on that level, but I think the creative uh, regarding this kind of stinks. It, not just kind of, it does stink. I don't like it. There were other ways to to do this. So then Darby's like, okay, well, who else? You, who who have you got then for for Wembley? If you're kicking Ar Fox out of here, Christian Cage appears alongside Luchasaurus. Of course, Christian Cage is carrying the TNT title. He says, "Oh, it's nice to meet you, Nick Wayne, young man. I understand that you have a father who is deceased." And I saw this wonderful tweet that was posted. Uh, I think it was Andrew Rich pulled it. Andrew is, is wild at this stuff. That compared this moment to Captain America lifting Thor's hammer. Because the minute we saw Christian come out and Nick Wayne there, we were all like, oh shit, is he going to do it? Is he going to do it? Is he going to do it? And he did it. And we ju- and I just rose everything. My, this, my spirit left my body in a, in a communal um, moment with the universe. I connected to things larger than me when I heard those words come out of Christian Cage's mouth. He says he's never heard of Buddy Wayne before, so he must not have been very good. <laughs> Which is good news. Which is good news. For Nick, because since his father, since your father, Nick, was such a talentless hack, you don't have a lot to live up to. And you thought that was bad? He says he should steer clear of Wembley because he'd hate for him to have deja vu as the coffin door closes on someone he loves for a second time in his young life. And I am just completely floored. I don't know why he didn't mention Mrs. Wayne in the audience who was there. Just make this a full circle moment. Maybe down the line. You got to keep some material for the next couple of weeks. But Jesus Christ. You know, there are weirdos out there uh, who want Edge and Christian to be a thing again in AEW. And I would advance that Christian Cage should be kept as far away from Sexton Hardcastle or Adam Copeland as far away as possible, in fact, because Christian Cage in AEW is outstanding. He is a delight, a treat at every moment. And I don't know what Edge has to offer in this circumstance. Now, unless it is the breakdown of their friendship and Christian goes so incredibly hard. But then again, I don't want to see them wrestle. I don't care. Nostalgia weirdos are weird. These are the same people who cheer, you know, go Hardy Boys. You know, come on, guys. 
We've got so much great fucking wrestling at our fingertips. And we've got people doing in the, the top work of their career right now. Meaning Christian right now. Like he is, he is next level good when it comes to promos and presence and building feuds. Next level stuff. What are we doing? Hoping for, oh man, I hope they do the five second, five second pose for those with the benefit of flash photography. I'm like, stow that away. Beautiful memories that we don't have to bring back. It, not when things are this good. And there's probably some of you right now who are like, no, come on, more an edge and Christian again. That'd be great. And look, if you're in, look, if you're into it, all the more power to you. But when it falls flat on its face, if it ever happens, I'm going to be the first to take a victory lap and tell you, the stunk. It'll either go if it does happen. Because don't forget, look, Adam Copeland is a professional liar. Just he's a professional wrestler, makes him a professional liar. And he's very good at it. Very good at what he does. He's a worker. So he's saying, oh, I'm torn and all this stuff. And oh, I have a, I have a contract with WWE in my in, sitting in my inbox and all this bullshit. So until something happens, anything can happen. If he does show up, he said, oh, my contract is up until, is up in September. Maybe it's up now. We don't know. You know, that's the point I'm trying to make here. So whatever happens to him as we move forward will happen. But if he does show up, to, it's going to go either one of two ways. This whole thing is going to fall flat or Christian Cage is going to make it good. Those are my two predictions. Those are absolutely my two predictions. Frankly, I, I, I don't need Edge in AEW. I really don't. And if you think his match quality is going to, you know, is going to drag everything, don't forget. No, man. I don't want to go. <laughs> but here we are. Don't forget, uh, Edge was brought back to World Wrestling Entertainment, you know, a couple of years ago. I don't know if you remember this. And remember when he was going around every brand and he was wondering, mm, what title should I challenge for? And ratings tanked. No one was watching. No one cared. You know, Edge's popularity to a degree is very insular. It's very fabricated. I think he has very passionate fans, just like a lot of wrestlers do, but I don't think it translates into business. Now, maybe Tony just wants the flex to bring Adam Page, uh, Adam Page, Edge in Adam Copeland and be like, hey, final hurrah here. Go on on your terms kind of thing. Let's do something with Christian Cage again. But I am not into this. I am not into it. And the body of work that Adam Copeland had in his final run with WWE is, is, is not impressive. It's not something that, that we will all remember fondly. I don't think anyone is going to remember the WrestleMania Hell in a Cell match with Finn Balor outside of, you know, the timeout they had to take to patch up Finn Balor because God forbid there'd be blood. We will remember the greatest match of all time because it wasn't. Like, we're going to remember Edge's run for all the wrong reasons. Roman Reigns stacked 
Brian Danielson on top of him to get the one, two, three, that uh, one show. Anyway, I've already talked too much about it. But I'm not interested in it. Not when Christian Cage is so phenomenal. Anyway. Renee Paquette is interviewing FTR and the Young Bucks. Uh, the Young Bucks uh, thank FTR for saving them. Uh, FTR said, nah, it's not about you guys. It's We just want you to be the best because we want to prove that we are the best tag team when we beat you. We want you at your best. Uh, the Bucks talk about how wild it is to have a show with 80,000 people in attendance and how bad FTR need this for their... They're also precious legacy. FTR says it goes beyond the titles. And it is about their legacy. And uh, Dax doesn't, or I, I think it's Dax, right? Doesn't want to have to explain to his family that he lost. But Matt Jackson, in a great, in a great bit, takes credit for getting FTR here. We hired you. And says you will, the Bucks will always be remembered as the greatest team of all time. And FTR will be remembered as the guy's that the Bucks mentioned on their YouTube show. And I thought that was outstanding. And I didn't, look, I don't know how much Dax was playing it up or not, but our, our boy was getting a little pink in the face. Uh, he was getting a little rosy. I don't know, man. I think it pushed a couple of buttons. I enjoyed that. And for the record, again, I mentioned it on my on, on my preview. You should go watch it if you haven't already. But I mentioned it on my preview. But just for the record, just so that we're clear, regardless of what happened with uh, Cash Wheeler, I have always been of the opinion that the Bucks should win at Wembley. And it's time for the Bucks to stop being so such fucking nice guys and really do establish themselves as uh, the greatest team of all time. I think they're, I, they are one of the greatest teams of all time. They are unquestionably the, the tag team of the 2010s. I think they're the best tag team of the past 20 years. And, um, and you know, they've been cool and nice about it, you know, putting other guys over, never overstepping their boundaries, doing the trio stuff and, you know, being transitional champions that one time, you know, just doing what needs to be done. But it's their company. They're one of the greatest if not the, you know, the top five greatest tag teams of all time. Wembley Stadium, 80,000 people. Yeah, this absolutely should be their moment. They re-signed. And then the Bucks go on a tear. And they destroy everyone in the tag team division. And I am completely okay with that. That's what they should do. Ruby Soho defeated Sky Blue. This was a match. Ruby Soho wins with the Destination Unknown, and she's calling out Chris Statlander. We'll see what that what goes on there. Roderick Strong is with the Kingdom. Uh, they're interviewed backstage. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's nothing more that, you know. He did say, you know, at the end of All In, we'll see the real Adam Cole and the real MJF. Again, more clues here, but, you know, Roderick Strong is going to tear off the brace. And he's going to be like, aha! I reveal myself! <laughs> you know, kind of thing. Uh, we get a video package of the House of Black destroying Billy Gunn's boots. After that, the acclaimed stomp down to the ring. No music, no rap. Anthony Bowens says, no more mind games. Turn out the lights. Come out here now, House of Black. Let's do it. House of Black obliges. They come out. They do the whole presentation. 
Everyone, uh, of course, you know, the acclaimed are stupid because it's a three on two. Um, big, big, uh, stupid babyface syndrome here. And, uh, but Billy Gunn shows up to make the save. As we were all expecting, there was not a real retirement. We were building to this match. They make the match for Wembley. He says he's going to wrestle again. He being Billy Gunn with his boys, his kids. That's how we referred to them. Um, the, his kids that he walked out on. And he says that was one of the hardest things he ever had to do. Uh, we got the, So they're challenging for the trio's titles. And he's going to be there as badass Billy Gunn. So we all saw this coming, I believe. And I think writing's on the wall. It, you know, it's gonna it's gonna be a a nice feel good moment for the acclaim for Billy Gunn specifically. Uh, I think this is a good use of the acclaimed. In the meantime, if they're not gonna use them for the tag titles, I think this is great. And squeeze as much as you can out of this Billy Gunn stuff. And he's going to be ultimately remembered as the the you know one of the better members of DX. Ultimately, for real though, like this because this final run of his is is very good i think he's been used perfectly it's good so you know again the acclaimed stuff is not for me but i can appreciate this angle i think it's well done and i think the also black are, are dropping the titles and that's a, but imagine how fucking funny it would be if the house of black retained just let that run through your mind for a second. And then the main event was the Ring of Honor Tag Team title match where Ozzy Open defeated the Hardys. I've got nothing to say about this match. The Hardys are on the job trail. I, like complete afterthoughts, right? It's just like, look, they win with the, uh, the uh, Ozzy Open wins with the Ozzy Arrow, which isn't even their, like their big finisher. It's like their secondary, like transitional move with the Ozzy Arrow. What are we doing here? They roll out of the ring and the Hardys are never mentioned, never thought of again. Just like their match against the Bucks. What was it? Last week or the week before? Like, same thing. Just the Hardys come in. Woo! You get the crowd pop, but then it's they're non-factors. I'm telling you, I'm not into uh, to, uh, Adam Copeland coming to AEW, folks. But it's the post-match here that, we're, that's, that we have to talk about. Uh, Mark Davis gets on the mic. Tells the crowd to shut up. <laughs> Fletcher uh, says there will be no double clotheslines. There will be no kangaroo kicks. And they will retain the tag titles against MJF and Adam Cole. Which brings out better than you, Bay Bay. And they brawl with Aussie Open. Uh, they call for the double clothesline. Mark Davis, again, is the guy who avoids it. Um, and uh, they even uh, get Fletcher up for the kangaroo kick. But Davis steps in to keep that from happening. Uh, and Cole, Adam Cole almost, he, he almost accidentally kicks Max in the face. Max catches the kick, which leads to some more tension. MJF, he starts parading with the title and he, you see him, he dives into his pocket, puts on the dynamite diamond ring and he's going, hmm. Then he, caution is the better part of Valor, puts it back in his pocket. They hug it out. MJF celebrates as Adam Cole looks on. Like there's, they're spreading more seeds of doubt. Who is it going to be? You know, it's inevitable. MJF in his promo said, you know, earlier in the evening, not his promo, the, the interview, he said, you know, the, why is it so hard for people to believe that people just can be friends, right? Because it's pro wrestling. That's why. If it was anything else, 
but it's pro wrestling, Max. That's why. There you have it. Big Dynamite. Um, like I said, you know, I think, I think everything, like, the, we had some really good, not many matches, but we had two really solid, strong, dope matches in the first hour. Or whenever, I, wasn't Darby Allen and Nick Wayne, like, a little, like, it doesn't matter when, it, when they happen. We, we had two really good ones. And two that just like, okay, let's just, let's just get these out of the way. You know, matches happen and like, all right. But, you know, there's a lot of stuff that was stuffed in here to get us to Wembley. Don't get me wrong. Eventful show, some great stuff and a lot of other stuff where you're like, but overall, like I said at the start of the show, I like this Dynamite overall because I think what was good was very good. And I saw, I saw elements of the dynamite I used to know in this show. So I hope they stick around for a while and they don't hit the old dusty trail. But I will be hitting the old dusty trail now and wrapping this up. Thank you everyone for listening, for watching. One last uh, pitch for the uh, for the uh, subscriptions or the likes on YouTube or the reviews or ratings over on your podcast applications. I'd appreciate it a great deal. A friendly reminder that I will not be doing a collision review this week because there's no point to it. Uh, you're you're all going to be watching all in at that point. So there's no reason to be tuning into the Mr. Warren Hayes show for that. Otherwise, I will be back for the Mr. Warren Hayes show uh, on Tuesday with a, of course, a review of all in. So thank you, everyone, for listening, for joining me today. Have a great rest of your week. I will see you next time.